You know, first say I got goosebumps. God is great. Um, I'm no expert, but a fellow Christian pilgrim, hungering to understand. D.T. Niles, a missionary, said, A Christian witness is not like a rich man who has a lot of bread, which he hands out to the poor beggars who have nothing. He is rather like one beggar who tells another beggar where he has found bread. He is rather, <clears throat> I am that beggar. I bring nothing to the cross, seeking only the bread of life that God freely gives. This bread is eternal life, and it is found in Jesus Christ. Some of the following insights are from a book by Michael Norton. As we remember Christ's sacrifice for us, let's look at Luke 2, 8, 12. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the field and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Now, why is this a sign? In Micah 5.2, it announces that the Savior will be born in Bethlehem. And in Micah 4.8, it makes reference to the tower of the flock. This tower was built in a pasture outside Bethlehem. These were not lowly shepherd, as is often portrayed by, but actually priests who took care of the birthing of the sacrificial lambs, so they would be unblemished. For the temple sacrifice, it was required that the lamb be unblemished. When a lamb was born, it would be wrapped with strips of cloth made from old priestly clothes in order to keep it unblemished. The priests would then place the lamb in a manger to ensure it would not get trampled. You can see the parallels with Jesus' birth. The shepherds priests returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. They had seen the Lamb of God prepared for sacrifice, unblemished, laying in a manger. Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, as we know, was married to the priest Zacharias. This is speculation, but Jesus' swaddling clothes could have been given by Elizabeth from the priestly clothes. That would further emphasize the picture of the unblemished sacrificial lamb of God. Isn't this something? Isn't God great? What's the Christmas story have to do with Good Friday? Well, everything. That's when the sacrificial lamb of God was born. At Passover, which is a precursor of Easter, each family had to bring a lamb to be sacrificed. Once sacrificed, the lamb would be the Passover dinner. In order to ensure they would get their own lamb back, they would put the family name around the neck of the lamb. Why is this relevant? Because a small sign was put at the top of the cross with the four letters I-N-R-I. This acronym represents a Latin inscription which in English reads, as Jesus the Nazarene, King of the Jews. John 19 says, Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but this man claimed to be the King of the Jews. 
Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. What is less known is that once transliterated into Hebrew, it would read a sentence where each first letter would spell Y-H-V-H. I've read that this that in Hebrew, V and W are interchangeable, and therefore it's spelled Y-H-W-H, or Yahweh, which is God. The religious leaders had asked for Christ to be crucified, so you can see that if they understood that this, they would have been more offended, even more, just like the Jews put their family name on their lamb for sacrifice. God had put his name on his lamb for his family, which includes all of us believers. Pilate would not have understood what he was doing and likely was trying to throw it in throw it in the religious leader's face that they were crucifying their king and therefore recognizing Caesar as their only king. He was foremost a politician and there was no mistake on his part in him putting king of the Jews, rather than he claimed to be. In doing so, he unwittingly identified this unblemished land as God's own, fulfilling God's will. In our own lives, we may wonder why bad things happen or why things don't go according to our will. However, Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It may take years, or may even have, we may even have to wait until we're in heaven to understand what good came out of the evil that we may be facing or have faced. But this is a promise from God that in all things he works for our good. The disciples must have thought that no possible good could come out of Christ's brutal beatings, mocking, rejection, and crucifixion. It would have appeared totally senseless. Though the religious leaders meant to thwart Jesus' ministry, they played right into God's hand. Though harm was intended, and Jesus suffered more than we'll ever know, good came out of it, the greatest gift of all, that is our salvation. Interestingly, for those who accept Jesus as their Savior and persevere, Jesus has said in Revelation 3.12, He who overcomes, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. Jesus promises that we will have three names written on us, similar to what was done for the sacrificial lamb. We will have written on us the name of God, New Jerusalem and Jesus' new name. This will identify who we belong to, that we belong to God. Have you accepted Christ as your Savior and therefore are part of his family? If not, what is holding you back? Could God do anything more than give his son's life up for us so that we could have fellowship with him and be safe from the penalty of our sins? I don't think so. Good Friday is about forgiveness. Us being forgiven from our sins, past, present, and future. But it is also our model to follow. Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you, but all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Are you holding on to unforgiveness? Is it robbing you of the joy God intended for you to have? By remaining bitter, refusing to forgive, you're not harming the other person as much as you're harming yourself. It is just as important to forgive yourself once you have asked for forgiveness from God and those you have sinned against. 
We need to let go of the anger, bitterness, shame, and regret that comes with unforgiveness. Rather, we, <clears throat> we can rest in God's blessings of joy and peace that comes with forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross so that we could be forgiven and have eternal life. Amen.